got the presentation, and Jeff had put this in there for us. <laughs> Moses parting his hair. <laughs> I, I had to keep it. Um, it was, what, two weeks ago? Was that right? Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was pretty good. So this is where we'll start today. Remember these things? Yeah. That's a sketch? All right. Well, this is by far one of my earliest memories of school. I mean, I, I have the worst memory ever, but I do remember in like first and second grade getting handed these things in school and getting to play with them. And I think the reason that I like the Etch-A-Sketch so much is because I am a horrible artist. The worst drawer, stick figures are, are my max. And the Etch-A-Sketch is great because if you make a mistake, you just shake it and start over, right? Um, but now, here's the reason I wanted to put this up there. Can you imagine... If, did God put the Ten Commandments on an Etch-A-Sketch? <laughs> Can you imagine if instead of climbing Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, Moses just turned to the people of Israel and said, hey, what do you guys think we ought to do? <laughs> you know, like, that would be really entertaining reading for sure, um, but I think it would have been disastrous. So I found these two guys, uh, the, the executive at Airbnb and this guy from Stanford University, and this is a, a couple, I don't know, a year or two ago. Um, they decided that they wanted to deliver their own 10, they called them non-commandments, in a book that they co-wrote, and it was called Atheist Heart, Humanist Mind. They're two atheist thinkers. And so <laughs> they wanted to write this philosophical roadmap for non-believers, and what they were trying to do is they were trying to reshape what the world thinks about atheists, that they're not that bad, okay? And they're not, and they're not that bad. I don't, I'm not being... And so, but here's the thing. They contend that by nature we're good, we're hardwired for compassion, and so they say we have no need for God, and therefore we have no need for God's law. That is kind of the premise behind writing their books. So they, they actually held a contest, and they called it the Rethink Prize, in which atheists were offered... Uh, this opportunity to rewrite the commandments for these modern alternatives to the famous Ten Commandments that God gave us. But they had about 2,800 submissions from 18 different countries. They had 13 judges to select the top 10 commandments or non-commandments. Um, and then the top 10 people each received $1,000 cash. Now, the non-commandments, they lack a faith in God, uh, but they do display this deep faith in hu uh, human progress, Okay. So they would argue that because we're so much more enlightened today than we used to be, that these, a new, more modern moral code is needed, one that assumes, of course, that there is no God. Now, I read them, and I was really impressed, all right? I found the Ten Non-Commandments to be pretty fascinating. Here's, here's a couple of them. I liked Non-Commandment number 10, leave the world a better place than you found it. We're not going to argue with that, right? It's great. Um, I, I agree with non-commandment number eight that we have a responsibility to consider others, including future generations. Anyone have a problem with that one? I didn't. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw, and when I thought about it, when I looked at these things, I thought, wow, if the world actually lived by their ten non-commandments, the world would be a better place than it currently is. But I had, when I looked at these things, I, I, kinda, I had one question and I had one kind of problem with their premise. First, the question, are we really so enlightened that we should be replacing our faith in God and putting it in human progress? That's my, that was my question when I read this. And I thought about it, and I said, gosh, if we're so enlightened, why haven't we been able to solve some of the most basic human problems, like to take poverty? 
right here or around the world. Why are 1.3 billion people in the world living in extreme poverty, earning less than $1.25 a day, if we're so enlightened today? Why is Team Lightshine walking for the Lutheran Social Services Walk to Fight Poverty in our own community if, in fact, we're that enlightened? And then if we're so enlightened, why does this United Nations report of human development report show 110 million war-related deaths in the 20th century alone? Listen to this. 35 million war-related deaths in the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries combined. And yet we're so enlightened that we want to take God's commands and rewrite them for our enlightened modern era. That doesn't sound terribly enlightened to me. And then my problem with the premise is pretty simple. They don't believe God exists, therefore there can be no universal moral code, but rather everyone gets one of these things. They get to write whatever they want on the moral code, and when it's not working for you anymore, just shake it and start over again. Now, I believe God exists. As far as I know, I don't know anyone that's been handed one of those things by God to rewrite the commandments. The commandments are designed, they're designed to show us how we should live in relation to God, in relation to each other. And Christians can and should work for progress. We do here in this church all the time, but ultimately that's not where we place our faith. We don't place our faith in human progress because last time I checked, human progress cannot save us. And so my proposal is that we keep the commandments. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Thank you. Amen, and have a wonderful weekend. <laughs> Not only should we keep them, but I think we should live them out in front of the world. And so as we hear these commandments, just take a note that for all, you know, people complain that the thou shalt nots. People say that the Ten Commandments are like, you know, this kill joy and that God doesn't want us to have any fun. That's just not true. So when you hear those thou shalt nots, you can also think that each of those thou shalt nots has a corresponding thou shalt. And there's a positive correspondence. So just keep that in mind as you hear them. And you can think to yourself, what is that positive that goes along with the ones that are listed in the negative? And we don't have time. It's one sermon. This is, the lectionary gives us the entire Ten Commandments to do in one you know, 20 uh, minute period, which is impossible. So we're not going to talk about them individually. We're going to talk about them kind of collectively. And then we can do our own individual work with some of the ones uh, which cause us trouble. Um, and everyone will probably have a different one. So keep those things in mind as we listen to them. This is from Exodus 20, 1 to 4. Okay, Rich, can you take these for me? Yeah. Thank you. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, 
But do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you, so that you do not sin. The word of the Lord. Eric and Michelle, you guys didn't like the seat right in front? Oh, I thought it was something maybe you didn't want to be. Something I did or said, or I don't know. I hadn't really said much yet, so I was offensive pretty early on. Um, I thought it was the music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. You know what? That's better. The better alternative. I don't know why I just did that in the middle of the sermon, but I'm like, wait a minute. They got up and moved. All right. This is why I just derail myself all the time. And I have no one to blame. Um, there was another book, and this one is older, but it's actually, I found it to be so intriguing that I, I took a look at it. And it was from 1991, and the book is called The Day America Told the Truth. And this is why it's interesting, because the authors were doing this study, um, and the conclusion that they came to was that there was absolutely no moral consensus at all in this country. And this is 1991. Okay, so now fast forward to today, um, and I guarantee you that the few things I'm going to share out of this have gone much further uh, in this direction than 1991, all right? Um, And so what they did was they did some research, they promised all their participants would be in complete anonymity because they wanted to find out what rules people were actually living by, all right? And so they asked some good questions, and here are a few, I'm just going to give you just a couple things to think about. Uh, 13% of Americans believe that the Ten Commandments are binding and relevant, 13%, and this is 1991, so you know it's a lot less than that today. That's not very many Americans, right? Uh, And I think the, the most revealing thing I found was, this is the one I really wanted to share, is they asked this question, what would you be willing to do for $10 million, all right? And they're trying to get at real honesty here, all right? And this is what they found. They said that 25% of Americans said they would abandon their families for $10 million. 25%. That's, that's incredible. 7% would be willing to murder a stranger. 25% would abandon their church. I'm like, that's it? 25? I, I expected that number to be like, hey, I would met. For $10 million, I'm out of here. No. I'm just kidding. 16% would give up their citizenship. 3% would put their kids up for adoption. Like, this is, can you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> Jefferson. Yeah. Hey, you are definitely in the 3%. <laughs> You're in trouble. <laughs> and here's the thing that I, the other thing I found most interesting is that in their research, they actually say that they found no significant difference between Christians and non-Christians. So these statistics are pretty close. Uh, people of faith are not people of faith. And I just, you know, this is what I ask myself. Does this, is this enlightened behavior? <laughs> is this, are we really so enlightened um, to think that maybe we ought to not keep God's commandments? Um, and it really just got me thinking um, that maybe we're not quite as enlightened as we might like to think we are. And so I started thinking about it, and I was like, okay, what are the, what are the Ten Commandments? What are they for? Um, and so I came up with this idea that, if anyone have a, uh, what do they call them? I should have brought mine in. It's right in my truck, too. Uh, the multi-tool. Anyone use those? So I've got a little Leatherman Wave multi-tool. It has 12, I think it has 12 different tools on it, hundreds of different uses. I use that thing all the time. I use it at home and hiking, camping, fishing. I mean, you name it, I use that thing. I used it yesterday on a project. I mean, I'm always using this thing. And it has a ton of different uses. Now, God's 
God's law, God's commandments actually have something in common with that. There's a bunch of reasons for them. I don't have time for too many of them, but I'm going to give you two, maybe, I think, I don't know if they're the two most important. They're the two that stood out to me, um, and so here we go. Oh, I already had it. Kyle, thank you. Kyle's already way ahead of me, always thinking. So the first is it teaches us how to live, right? And so what God is, you know, God is speaking to the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai. One of the intriguing things about the Ten Commandments is actually that it doesn't start with the rules. It doesn't start with the law. It actually starts with the gospel or the good news. I think this is important. I don't think it's an accident that Exodus 20 begins with not rules, but rather the relationship, the relationship that God had with the people of Israel. And so God's reminding him of the good news. Excuse me, I got a little something going on since I came back from vacation. It'll, I'll make it. <laughs> in these verses, what God does is God summarizes everything that's happened in the Exodus up to this point, right? So it was God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. It was God who delivered them from slavery, delivered them from the oppression of Pharaoh, and it was out of love and relationship. This is really important. This may be the most important thing. It's out of love and relationship that Israel is given the gift of the law, the gift of the Ten Commandments. The law was for people who had already been delivered. They've already been saved. They've already been delivered. They've already been redeemed, and God gives them the gift of the law. And so it's not this oppressive thing. It's more when I thought about it. It's actually more, I think it would have been seen this way. It was more like a freedom charter. It's freedom to live for God and freedom to live for others. It was freedom to live the way that humanity was created to live. Now, I did a lot. I worked with teenagers most of my career. And I used to hear this question all the time. All the time. Hundreds of times I've heard this. Teenagers would ask me, Now that I'm saved, now that I know Jesus, how should I live my life? In other words, they want to know what has to change, right? Nancy, we we spent a lot of time dealing with this question, right? What has to change now that I know Jesus? Am I free to live however I want? Am I supposed to live differently than the surrounding culture? You're wanting to know what are God's expectations for me now that I'm in relationship with God, right? These are great questions, and I found a good response from Scripture. One of the best ways to interpret Scripture is to look at another Scripture passage. Paul wrote this. He said, you were called to freedom. Brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. The Ten Commandments, they help us see the kind of life that's pleasing to God. That is a life of love lived for God and for others. And so the second thing it does, which is this one, gosh, this couldn't be more important, is it reveals our need for a Savior. This one is absolutely critical, and this is the reason why those thou shalt nots are kind of important. So far, we've stated the law, what it's able to do, but the thing is, it's, what it's not able to do is it's not able to save. Even though it's powerless to save us, this is maybe its most important use is it shows us our need for a Savior. This is incredible. Exodus 24, four uh, chapters later, this is what Israel said. Quote, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You need to hear that again. All, every, all means everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They said, we will be obedient. That is laughable. Okay? It is ridiculous 
to have made that statement. We all know that that is completely ridiculous. And so we have this paradox, right? Because God's redeemed people, they're obligated to keep the law perfectly. And yet, when we hear that statement, what was the first thing Israel did after receiving the Ten Commandments? Dale, what did they do? Yeah, the, the golden calf. I mean, this is why I say this is completely absurd. Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I mean, come on, give me a break. Now, here's the, here's the paradox. On the one hand, both the Old and New Testaments, they say the same thing. They say that keeping God's law leads to life. Keeping God's law leads to life. Listen, Moses wrote this on the lips of God. You shall keep my statutes and my ordinances. By doing so, one shall live. Jesus said it too. Jesus said, if you wish to enter into life, keep my commandments. So the commandments and life go hand in hand. But the Bible also says that we can't keep them. So we've got this problem. What is going on here, right? God's people were, they are bound to keep this law that they cannot fully keep. So being delivered from Egypt was this earthly deliverance. It was not the final uh, act of deliverance that God had planned. The trouble is that salvation requires a perfect obedience. And I don't know about you, but I know I'm far from perfect. And so we have this problem. The ancient Israelites, they couldn't keep the law. We can't keep the law. As soon as God tells them what to do, they make a golden calf. First thing. So here's what I think is most important. I see the Ten Commandments more like a mirror. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't always like what I see, all right? The mirror reveals the bags under my eyes, the dirt on the face, a few more grays in the beard, the wrinkles on the skin, the extra pound that I just put on the vacation right here. Um, it reveals all the ways, this is what the commandments do, they reveal all the ways in which I or we fall short. Our inability to keep the commands, it reminds us of our need for the gospel, for the good news, for God's grace. And so what we have is we have God giving us the law, these rules, to point us to the gospel. This is the reason that Moses gave us the law. And so listen to this quote from John Calvin. It's absolutely brilliant and it's so simple. John Calvin, the great reformer, and it is, what is it, Reformation Month, the celebration of the... 500 years of the Reformation, right? And so here we go. I got Calvin in for, you, for those people who like Reformed theology. Moses had no intention than to invite all humanity to go straight to Christ. That's what Calvin said about the Ten Commandments. That Moses' sole intention was to point us to Jesus. That's pretty, pretty incredible, that thought. In the commandments, commandments, what we actually do is we can see ourselves for who we really are, Right? We're people in need of God's grace. But here's the thing about a mirror. It can show us the imperfections, but it cannot wash your face for you, right? When our face is dirty, how many of us grab a mirror to scrub it? We'd be in trouble. We did. We look in the mirror, and the mirror what? It points us to the soapy water into the washcloth to get clean. And so the Ten Commandments show us that our faces are dirty, like the mirror. But they can't wash our face for us. They show us how God wants us to live, but they also show us that we cannot live in the way that God desires us to live. And so they point beyond themselves to Jesus, back to the gospel, the good news. 
And so it's just, like, if you think about it like a circle, I should have drawn this. Gospel with the line that goes to law and the same circle that finishes with the law pointing back to the gospel. That is exactly what the commandments do. And so, of course, the question remains, are these things still binding? Are they still relevant, still important to us today? It is an important question. Uh, they're certainly not fashionable, right? Most people, including Christians, don't even know them anymore. But just because they're not fashionable, just because some people decide to throw them out, others have decided to rewrite them, doesn't make them unimportant. Now we'll see who remembers this. We're going to do a little test. There was a test that said that Americans know the seven ingredients of a Big Mac more than they do the Ten Commandments. Right? So here we go. Do, do, do we remember the commercial, little jingle? Okay. Seven ingredients of a Big Mac. Here we go. Two all beef. All right, so like 75% of us just sang it correctly even. Not only do we get the ingredients in the right order, but, but we sang them perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, now, here's the thing. 80% of those surveyed, they knew about the all-beef patties, okay, which about the number roughly here based on what I just heard. But 60% recognized do not kill as one of the commandments. That's incre- thou, That's incredible. Thou shalt not kill, that's kind of the... One that I thought maybe everybody would know, 60%, right? So if it's 60% on that one, just imagine where we go from here. 45% knew honor your father and mother was a commandment. 34% knew that remember the Sabbath. Only 29% recognized do not make for yourself an idol. 29%, okay? But 80% know the seven ingredients of Big Mac, (laughs) all right? So Americans know their hamburgers, but they don't know the commandments very well. So God's law, these commandments, they express God's character. This is why I think we ought to hang on to them. One of the reasons right here. They express God's character. They reflect God's eternal attributes. So when we think about the attributes of God, and I just throw out a couple. You can think of some more. Sovereignty, justice, faithfulness, truthfulness, love. These things are all reflected in these commandments. If you look at them, these eternal attributes of God right there reflected in the commandments, the rules that God gives us. And so just as kind of you think about God not being able to un-God himself, whatever that means, God doesn't, can't set aside the divine attributes. And so this divine law that reflects God's divine character should not be, cannot be set aside. Maybe it's why the commandments were not written on an etch-a-sketch but written, rather, on tablets of stone to convey a sense of their permanence. So God's standards, they haven't changed, as far as I know. We sang a song, Unchanging, thank you, um, about these, yeah, God is unchanging, these eternal attributes are unchanging, what God expects of us hasn't really changed. Um, and then I found this, uh, there was a speech, uh, ABC Ted Koppel, you know who that guy is? Um, he gave a really famous commencement address, actually, that's kind of re- talked about all over the place. It was at Duke University, and he actually, when he was speaking to them, he said, what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not ten suggestions. They were ten commandments. He's kind of the guy who like, made that famous statement. Um, and he said, are, not were. Now, sometimes we might wish they were multiple choice, <laughs> but that's not the case either. But how about the words of Jesus, which carry a lot more weight than Ted Koppel? Here's what Jesus said. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. And that's what Jesus said. 
It's evidently pretty important. In other words, the Ten Commandments, they're not just God's law. Jesus, they're Jesus's as well. Now, in the New Testament, if you look carefully, which I wish I had time to do this because I would love to do it. If we were in a Bible study, we would do this. We can find all the Ten Commandments in, on the words of Jesus or the teachings of the apostles. All ten are there in our New Testament. And that would be a really fun project to do. Try it if you got some time. Try to find them. So clearly we can't throw them out as archaic. We shouldn't rewrite them for our enlightened modern era. God and God's standards are unchanging. The commandments reveal, of course, our inability to keep them. But the Bible reveals that Jesus did keep the law perfectly. And this is where we end up. We can't keep the law, but Jesus did. He kept the law in perfect obedience on our behalf. And then Jesus willingly, this is the gospel, Jesus willingly takes on the penalty for, that we deserve for our failure to keep it. And so we hear the good news of the gospel. This is how the law and the gospel work together. We can't keep it, but Jesus did. Thank God that our salvation is not dependent on our ability to keep God's commandments, or we'd all be in trouble. Thank God that we do not get right with God because of our ability to follow the rules. We're right with God because of one thing, Jesus. That's it. And thank God for that because that is the gospel. And I love this. Mark Twain told the story. There was a guy who had memorized the Ten Commandments. He told Twain that his ambition was to go to the Holy Land, to climb up to the top of Mount Sinai from the summit to shout the Ten Commandments as loudly as he possibly could. He said he wanted the whole world to hear God's Ten Commandments. Twain replied to this guy, can you just see this? Have you ever thought about just staying home and keeping them? <laughs> like, that is brilliant. Like, this is brilliant advice for us. Maybe living them is simply the best response to those who don't even believe that we need them anymore. We live these commandments out in front of the world. Not because God's going to love us more, but because the law of love, when does it ever go out of style? And so Jesus summarized the whole law like this. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. He said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. God doesn't give us the commandments to take the joy out of life. They show us how to love. And loving God and loving others is something that never goes out of style. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray.